I want to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in the first chapter, in the very last paragraph of that chapter. We're continuing to think about identity together. And I think the, the passage that we're going to look at in just a few minutes helps us to to understand our identity better, both by remembering where we once were, who we once were, and also who we now are, who we now belong to. Don't know if you watched Sesame Street as a kid growing up. Maybe you watched Sesame Street with your kids as they were growing up, or your grandkids. But one of the sort of recurring sort of... uh, sketches or pieces of Sesame Street throughout my childhood, I don't know if it still continues to, to this day, was, was this little jingle. They would, they would flash up on the screen a handful of items, and all the items were connected. They had something they shared in common except one. And this little song would play in the background, right? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't belong. And that the challenge as a young child watching Sesame Street was to figure out what on the screen didn't belong before the song was over, right? Anybody remember this on Sesame Street? Now that was a lot of fun when you're a toddler trying to figure out the world. It's less fun in real life when you find out you're the thing that doesn't belong, the thing that doesn't fit. Wonder if you can remember or think back to experiences you've had where you were the thing that didn't belong. One of those memories uh, that I, I was recalling this past week was several years ago when my wife Katie and I lived overseas. And we were part of an international community there in China. And our, our kids at the time were preschoolers. And the preschool they were in had, had students from all over um, the world that were part of it, and one of their young friends invited us to a birthday party on a Sunday afternoon. It was a beautiful day, kind of like this one, sunny outside. And so we we had the invitation, we followed the invitation to the address, and it was in this uh, pretty exclusive gated community, back to this huge house where lots of executives and business people lived. And we walked into their backyard and made our way into a birthday party that looked like one of those birthday parties in the movies that don't really seem real, right? You see them and you go, who has birthday parties like that? Now there are professional entertainers in one corner of the backyard and there are caterers everywhere and there's bouncy castles and there are people wandering around with with plates of hors d'oeuvres serving you. Everything at the birthday party looked picture perfect. And of course, our our kids were super excited. They wanted to see and do everything with their friends. And they knew many of the the kids at the birthday party. We were left behind there looking to make small talk, right? It was like the, the cocktail hour with all of the parents who were left behind. And in that community, typically making small talk revolved around three questions. You could almost always predict you were going to get these three questions. The first one was, where are you from? Because it was an international community. People had moved there from all over the world. The second was always, you know, how long have you been in China? 
And the third question that inevitably followed is, what are you doing here? Right? What, what is your significance? What brought you here? What, what's your work or vocation? And I was, you know, pretty good at making small talk. I could, I could generally navigate the first two of those questions pretty well. I could talk about the places our family had worked and lived and traveled. We had lived in China for almost 10 years, so I could talk about how we had adjusted to life there. But it was always the, the third of those questions that did me in, or it outed me in these conversations. And at that party, it was, you know, again, in this, this really exclusive community. And so everybody would start to tell me that they were the, the vice president for Nike in Asia, or they were working for Volkswagen and starting some new, you know, factory. They're building some new facility in China. And then eventually they would say, so, so what is it you do? And I would say, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church here. And they would look a little confused at first. They'd usually follow that with you know, something like, oh, well, that's, that's nice. And then about a minute or two later, they would find a way to excuse themselves to the drink table, and I would cycle on to the next conversation. Right? And the, the day it just was repetitive like that. The more conversations I had, the more it was clear to me that I was the one who didn't belong. Right? I, I didn't have a lot of networking upside in that particular community. And again, I'm sure all of us have experienced this for different reasons. We've walked into a room or into a conversation where before long you realize it might be awkward or uncomfortable to be who you really are, to, to say what you really do, to, to, to communicate what really gives you significance and identity and worth. And it may be hard for us to imagine this, but I, I was having a conversation this past week where someone said, you know what? More often than not, the church is one of those places. The church is one of those places where we feel at home, where we feel surrounded by people we're excited to get to know and to network and, uh, and to relate with. But it's not always a place that feels welcoming or, or safe to our neighbors. And so I think there's, there's a danger for us in defining Christianity, defining the gospel, defining community around what's comfortable for me. Right, what's comfortable for us, what my preferences look like. And whether we intend to or not, we can send these sort of subtle messages right, that this party is, is for some, but not so much for other groups, other people. One of the dilemmas then facing the church, I think in every generation, is to answer this question. Who is it that belongs here? And another way of, of stating that would be to say, who is it that belongs to, or belongs with, or belongs in the person of Jesus? And it's a, a question, it's a dilemma that the New Testament churches wrestled through as well. So this morning I want to take us back into Paul's letters. We've been in the epistles now for several weeks and back into his correspondence with the church in Corinth, which, as we, we picked up 2 Corinthians, a, a later letter of Paul's a few weeks back, 
we, we recall that they were a group of people that had become and, and were becoming an increasingly exclusive bunch, a, a kind of self-important community. And so much so that even Paul, right, Paul who first preached the gospel to them, Paul who founded the church in Corinth, Paul increasingly in his letters finds himself unwelcome or, or no longer the one who belongs at the church in Corinth. So Paul here, as he writes the first of his letters to the Corinthians, wants to remind them of the gospel he first proclaimed. He wants to remind them who it is that belongs to Jesus. Let me open to that text with you and let me pray as we do that. Lord, I pray that we could boast this morning in our belonging to you, that that could be a cause for praise and rejoicing, but that as we do that, we would remember that you are the one who is determined who belongs here, and we would remember the grounds on which you have brought us into this family. Would you humble us Would you free us in that humility as a people? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're we're looking at the last paragraph in 1 Corinthians 1. Let me give you just a really fast run-through of chapter 1 before this. Paul, like in all of his letters, starts out with greetings to the church, but if you notice, if you've got your Bibles open, you can see in verse 2, Paul sort of slips in reminders throughout these greetings, and one of them in verse 2 is to tell the Corinthians to, to sort of subtly remind them that this is God's church. It's, it's something God started. It's a community that God initiated, and he has ownership over. If you go down into verse 9, he reminds them that because it's God's church, And it was through the the work of Jesus Christ that they were brought into it. He says that that what they are now invited to do is to be in partnership with Jesus Christ. They're partners in the church that belongs to him. And so therefore, in verse 10, he says there should be no divisions. If this is a church God initiated, it belongs to him, it's in partnership with his son Jesus Christ, then it it has no space for schisms or, or special interest groups. There should be no divisions among you. Instead, he reminds them of the gospel he first preached when he came to them. And throughout the end of chapter 1 there, he speaks about how the gospel was a gospel that was foolish and weak to the world. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified. And yet they experienced the power of God to save them, to change them, to transform them in that foolishness and weakness. And so, here in verse 26 then, Paul wants to remind them how the party got started, so to speak. Who was invited at the beginning? Verse 26. Brothers and sisters, then, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Think, he says, of what you once were. Paul is inviting them then at the beginning of this paragraph to to remember back to a former time, to take a, a stroll down memory lane with Paul. I would imagine every one of us has some old pictures laying around our house or maybe our parents' house that we're not exactly proud of, right? A picture with a bad haircut, a picture at an awkward angle or moment, an ugly sweater picture. I mean, you know, whatever. There's, there's a phase in your life where if you, if you had the power, you would make all the pictures disappear from that, from that particular era. And we, we could happily sort of erase that history from existence if it weren't for the family photo albums, right? We're there for all posterity, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our great-grandkids on these pristine, acid-free pages, right? There are these pictures of what we once were. And we might think, well, why do we keep these things around? Why not just get rid of those things? But I would contend, I think along with the Apostle Paul, that having those images of what we once were are important. They're not flattering, but they're important. Because they guard us against airbrushing our personal past. They guard us against forgetting what we once were. And so Paul's aim here in verse 26 is to take this community of increasingly exclusive, increasingly self-important, self-centered people in Corinth, and, and Paul whips out the family album, so to speak, and says, do you remember what you were when I showed up and preached the gospel to you? Do you remember what you looked like when Christ first called you? Paul says, you were not wise. You were not powerful. You weren't well-born. You didn't fit all the criteria. As New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says, they were most certainly not among the beautiful people of Corinth. Rather, they were largely gathered from among its nobodies. But as verses 27 and 28 point out, It was God's plan to actually build a family of people out of weak and foolish people. Out of people lowly and even so despised that God might shame the arrogance of the strong by making his church full of these types of people. It's kind of like setting out to win a Super Bowl and you refuse to draft any players. You just go to to high schools or colleges where people were cut from the team and you start gathering these players together in pursuit of a championship. 
Right? It's, it's a picture of, of what the church has, has drawn its ranks from. Paul says they are the weak, the despised, the foolish that God has chosen on purpose. There's a, an incredible quotation from Christian history. In the second century, about, about 100 years after Paul's writing this, the church father Origen was engaged in debate in the Greco-Roman world, and he had an opponent named Celsus who, who thought very little of the Christian communities that were forming. And in his correspondence with Origen, he's attacking the Christian church, and he says this about the early Christian church. He says, these, these communities, if anyone is ignorant, anyone stupid, anyone uneducated, if anyone's a child, they say, come join us. They speak to them boldly. And Celsus goes on to say this. He accuses them. He says, by the fact that they themselves admit that these people are worthy of their God, they show that they want and are able only to convince the foolish, the dishonorable, the stupid, the slaves, the women, and the children. This was his accusation against the early Christian church. I wonder if, if we have experienced those categories. How would we feel about identifying ourselves, being a community that belongs to the weak and the foolish? How would we feel about worshiping a God who our world calls and sees as weak and foolish? That's actually Paul's primary question here in chapter 1. Because Paul knows in his day, not unlike our own, the world demands signs of power. The world demands sophisticated boasting in its own wisdom, in its answers, in its, in its ability to know and do and control everything. But Paul says, what does the church possess? Is that what we have? Do we have signs of power? Do we have wisdom to prove we are superior to everyone else? He says, no, we've been given a gospel of foolishness. We've been given a message of weakness. We've been given the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified. And he says that is a scandal. It's a stumbling block. It's something we would trip over, that we would probably rather put on the last page of the photo album, never to be seen again, if we could choose. But here at the end of chapter 1, Paul says, Praise be to God that he has chosen the weak and the foolish things of this world. You know why? Because if he didn't choose the weak and the foolish, we wouldn't be here. You and I wouldn't have had any way to get into this family if God did not delight in weak and foolish things. He says it's precisely because we have no qualifications that God has chosen us to belong to him. So that as verse 29 says, he might silence the, the proud boasting, the divisive ego of the human heart so that no one could boast in God's presence. 
because we remember who we were when God called us. We were not wise. We were not powerful. We were not well-born. And later in this same letter, in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul puts an even finer point on our actual identity, on, on, on the way we are perceived by the world around us. And he says that, that among the Greco-Roman cities that he proclaims the gospel, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul says, he has been counted as the scum of the earth and the garbage of this world. Paul says he has been identified as, as refuse. One of the words here literally means the, the filth that scraped off or wiped off something to make it clean. Paul says it's, it's this refuse, this scum of the earth that God has chosen to delight in. That God has chosen to pour and, and to concentrate his glory upon. There's a, a church that one of my former seminary professors used to, to be on staff with in Denver, Colorado. And the, the church was formed among a lot of people that didn't fit in a normal church building. And as the church came together, it was a church plant, they were looking for a name and they decided they would call their name the Scum of the Earth Church. They borrowed this verse from 1 Corinthians 4. And they did that because they felt it was critical. It communicated something about who actually belongs in the church, who it is, what kind of people belong to Jesus. And I want to show you just a quick clip from from a video they, they made about, about the coming together of that community. Uh, my name is Adam Skinner. Uh, I work here for SCUM. I've uh, been with the church since about 2008 when I got to Denver. I came here from Illinois knowing absolutely nobody and uh, was told about this place. Uh, as, quote, somewhere I might fit in. And yeah, been here ever since. It's, um, at SCUM, there's a lot of openness to finding God, uh, regardless of how much he may offend us. <laughs> um, there's a, a phrase that we like to use, uh, dirty feet on holy ground. Um, and that's sort of the, the ethos that we're going for, where we are broken, messed up people. And we serve a God who got his feet dirty going around in pursuit of us. We should not be afraid to get as messy pursuing him. <laughs> should I be looking at him? You are. <laughs> what is scum? Scum of the earth. It's a place where you can belong even if you don't fit in. She said, I don't know if you could hear that clearly. She said, it's a place where you can belong even if you don't fit in. And before that, I appreciated that, that idea that the former gentleman communicated that we are, are people with dirty feet on holy ground. And yet, in the person of Jesus Christ, he said, God came to us. He got his feet dirty 
so that he could take the, the scum of the earth and make them into a people of his own. So in, in conclusion this morning, I want to look at the last two verses of this chapter. Because they tell us not only about who we once were, where God found us, but they now communicate who we have become. Verse 30. It says, it is because of him, remember that it is because of him, the God who has chosen the things that are not in this world. That's the former verse. It's because of this God that you are now in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Verse 30 says it's because of him. It's because of the kind of God who in his Father's love came to us when we weren't wise, when we weren't powerful, when we weren't well-born, when we were among the despised of this world. It's because of that God that we now find ourselves in Christ Jesus. We've been brought into this new identity. And as we've said so many times these past few months in this study of identity, the identity that we now possess, a truly and distinctively Christian identity, is not one of our own making. It's one given. It's one found in Jesus Christ. And it says that this person, Jesus Christ, has become for us wisdom from God. He's become what we could not, did not possess. But it's a wisdom that stands in in stark contrast from the wisdom, the the self-styled wisdom of Paul's day. It stands in in stark contrast from that sense of self-importance and self-worth. It's not the wisdom in appearing to be a community or a church of, of collecting all the right kinds of people and personalities and prestige or personas. Paul says Jesus has given us wisdom from God. And the rest of verse 30 there illustrates what that wisdom is. He says it's a wisdom that makes the scum of the earth righteous. It's a wisdom that enables the despised of the world to become holy, to become like God. It's a wisdom that redeems the oppressed of this world so that they become full citizens in the kingdom of God, reigning through Jesus Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, remember not only what you were when God called you, but remember who you now are. You are the wise, the righteous, the holy, the redeemed that belong to Jesus Christ. So then, if anyone wants to boast, make your boast in the Lord. Make your boast in the fullness of who Jesus Christ is. And I think for Paul, that that application means two things. When we boast 
in the lordship of Jesus Christ. We boast in the glory of who Jesus is. There's, there's a laying hold of this new identity we now possess so that God, we know that God takes pleasure in being close to us. God takes pleasure in delivering us. God takes pleasure in redeeming and healing every messed up part of who we are. That's part of making our boast in the Lord. But Paul also knows that to boast in Jesus means receiving, identifying with the scandal of the cross, the scandal of God's choice. Because to boast in Jesus means that we also welcome everyone into our community who's just as messed up and foolish and unwise as we are. We welcome them as our own, as God's own, as the ones God loves and chooses. Right? The church, like the woman said in the video, should be the place where if you don't fit in anywhere else, you are welcome to belong here. question is, are, are we doing that? Are we, are we looking to, to be that kind of people, that kind of community? Because Paul says, if we don't, then what, regardless of, of what we say with our mouths, right, then our lives and this community will cease to preach the gospel. If those God has chosen do not belong among us. If that's the case, then we're, we're right back to where the Corinthians were. We're preaching a wisdom of our own making. As Paul says back in verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of our God. Let us make our boast in the God who redeems us in the one who has made for us a place to belong to him. Let us make our boast in him this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that as we recall who we once were, Lord, that you would free us in that estimation. Lord, if there's, if there's anything about who we once were that shames us, that holds power over us, that has been a source of pain or exclusion to us from others, maybe even those in the church, Lord, we bring those places to you and we pray that your Holy Spirit might minister to us, that we belong to you that you chose us. That we need not possess any qualification to belong to you, but simply to hear your voice that calls, come, come belong to me. Lord, I pray that in that place, not only disarm that which might keep us from belonging, but you would also enable us to receive what it is to be yours, to receive that wisdom of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus imparted to us, the holiness of Jesus gifted to us, the redemption of Jesus to buy complete and full freedom in you. 
today our spirits and our souls could boast in who we now are. And Lord, from that place, may we eagerly welcome in all those you love, all those you have chosen to make your own. May they belong to us and to our families and in our houses and in this house of worship today. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.